Welcome to Courage in Action. We are a sisterhood of women empowering women to be everything we are meant to be as we connect with some extraordinary, triumphant, and beautifully imperfect women through this podcast. Together, we hope to inspire you to take action towards your life goals, one courageous step at a time. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. I'm here with a special guest. She is an entrepreneur, but I'm going to actually let her introduce herself and let us know a little bit about herself. Thank you, Jane. Uh, delighted to be with you all today. Uh, so yeah, my name is Karen Kelly. I guess if you think, what, what, how could I define myself? My gosh, I have so many pieces of me. Um, I am a female entrepreneur. I have been in sales for 20 years in corporate I'm a mother of two. I'm a wife. I'm a daughter. I'm a friend. I'm a former marathon runner. I'm mm-hmm. a podcast host. Um, and I'm just a lover of life. So that's that's me in a nutshell. Tell me about, you know, we've been through going a pandemic for the last two years. And I find, you know, in, in my line of work, a lot of moms have said like, their mothering has it it's shifted now with the kids because kids are a bit different after coming through a pandemic. Have you experienced that? Well, I, I guess, Jane, I would ask you, what do you mean by different? Um, they they said for for a lot of the moms that I work with, they've said that kids are requiring like because they went through two years of like not being able to go to school properly mm-hmm. and they're they're finding that their kids are a lot a lot more isolated at this time even though they've gone back to school they're having a harder time getting their kids out there and involved in in different things because there's as much as covid hasn't gone away but there's still that lingering fear in 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 children So they're finding that it's hard to get them in like different extracurricular activities. They want to isolate more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You know, thankfully, my kids have not had that. I've heard a lot of other moms that do have that. Who was I talking to the other day? And they were saying the mom, it's like an hour in the morning. She has to get her daughter, you know, primed before she goes into the school and then they sit in the parking lot for another 30 minutes before she goes into the class. So definitely I see it, the anxiety, mm. the isolation, the not wanting to go. My children, my my son is eight and my daughter is six. And although it was very trying times for all of us because my daughter entered a JK and SK all remote, like she didn't know anything different. There was no classroom. There was a very short run of a classroom. Mm -hmm. And what it taught me as an adult is just the resiliency. Like what, what, what can we take away from our kids here that Mm -hmm. even when they had to wear a mask, they just, they didn't know anything. They're smiling, you know, through, (laughs) you see their eyes squinting and that's, that's how you knew they were smiling because they were covered with masks. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I don't know what I can chalk it up to. I think I think uh, it's probably a bunch of things, but thankfully my, my children were, I would, I mean, again, that the science will show later if, if there are any repercussions, but throughout it, you know, we tried to remain the within our control as a family, like, you know, normal routines, normal patterns. And we mm-hmm. would talk a lot about gratitude. Like everything that I coach my clients on is mm-hmm. definitely applicable to my children and vice versa. And we would just say like, yeah, it's, there's a lot of people worse than us. You know, we, we maybe we can't do these things and we're a little bored, but there's people who are dying and, you know, yes. can't see their, their family, their loved ones. And I said, 
we have to be grateful for everything we have. So I, I think that attitude of gratitude, even at that young age, and, and I feel that the, the school reiterated or, or echoed that message that they were, they had a real insulated bubble around them of positivity of, of like, this is, we can get through this. And mm. they, they kind of lived a bit of a normal life. You know, we were outside, we would go hiking and we just took advantage of what we could to really create, to avoid, you know, what, what some other people unfortunately couldn't avoid. Okay. Yeah. That, that is helpful. Cause I know, I know a lot of, especially I, I work in the, uh, in a, in a system where moms don't really have access to a lot of things. So I think the only option was to have their kids sitting at home. So mm-hmm. it is, it's tough. It's really challenging. And now, now that things have gone back to normal, people are trying to pick themselves up, mm-hmm. and it's it's hard out here. But I wanna I wanna start off by asking you, tell me about your journey, um, from where you started from and and where you are today. Mm-hmm. And are you referring to my career journey, Jane? Yes. Tell me about your career. How you started out as a female entrepreneur, and um, I want to kind of I I also want you to talk about what was that journey like for you spiritually and, you know, how you've how you've progressed from then to now. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, I'll back it up, um, I guess, into this isn't going to be this long, but it's going to be kind of a timeline here. But if you think about the end of university, uh, my father was in sales and I got a phone call and he had said he won the president's club and that my mother didn't want to go anymore. <laughs> she had been to too many of them. So obviously, you know, at the end of my university career, I'm poor, I'm writing my final exam. So when you get that kind of phone call, you think, wow, this is, this is like the, the lotto. Mm-hmm. As I went on a, um, the president's club trip with my dad and, and, you know, there were so many people around him and asking me like, what is his secret? What is he doing to continually win this? And I remember not really being that aware and, And just, you know, when you're in university, you're focused inwardly and in your studies. And I remember thinking, I I actually don't know what he does, but I can tell you he's a good person. You know, he has integrity. Um, What he his word is his word. Um, You know, he's got a good work ethic. He's honest. You can trust him. So things like that. And the irony is, are those were the things that actually, you know, allowed him to be have such a successful career. Mm -hmm. And so. I remember, you know, not really wanting to go into sales, but that that seed was planted at the right time. And so um, I actually got into teaching after I finished my degree, uh, my, my science degree, and I enjoyed the teaching part of it. But what I didn't enjoy was, you know, I was doing so much more beyond just the classroom. I was coaching. Mm-hmm. I was part of the play. And I remember we're all getting paid the same. And I just thought, this isn't fair. Like I see people backing out the same time the bell rings and meanwhile, I'm there for two and a half hours later. So what what dawned on me was I want to be part of a community where I'm rewarded for my efforts because I am not afraid of hard work. Being one of four girls, you know, not coming from a lot, I definitely wasn't afraid of hard work. So I, I kind of went back to that time on on the the President's Club tr- uh, you know, war trip with my dad and that, that seed that had been planted, I was ready to kind of tap into a, a bit. Mm-hmm. Long story short, I didn't have any sales experience, so I looked for a good company. And this was back in the time that we had to look at the Toronto Star on Thursdays 
<laughs> when Orgopolis <laughs> yeah. would come out. Awesome. Yeah, no, every Thursday, you're like, well, what, what are the new jobs now? So there was no LinkedIn, there was no anything. And so you mail in your resume. And so I found a good company. And um, but I didn't have a sales experience. So I got um, I got in through a customer service role, knowing that, you know, that was my path in. And as I was in customer service, I knew it was a stepping stone, but I was starting to interview people in sales and really look at, you know, what what is what are they doing and why is this such an intriguing path? Because it was almost like they made it impossible to get into. And it was, my curiosity was piqued because I'm like, why is what's behind this curtain here that everyone's going into and but yet they don't want me in here. Mm-hmm. So I just started doing some research, talking to people and really understanding what is it they're doing. What I also noticed was it was all men all older white men. And I remember thinking, you know, I was probably, I don't know, 23, 24, 25. And so definitely it was one of these people don't look like the other. And again, that made me want that hunger to really prove myself. And um, I think also when I look back at my childhood, being one of four girls, like there was always this one-upmanship. We always had to outcompete mm-hmm. each other. Yeah. So I think that definitely played a role. But Long story short, um, they they said, you know, you, you you don't get into here unless you've done two years in pre-selling. And I remember thinking, well, I don't respond well to the word you can't. And so after 14 months, I did get in. And uh, I remember just not really sure why there was so much hype or why they created this real unattainable um, you know, lineage to get through. But, but I got through and realized it was almost like a screening. And and I guess that's probably a good thing to see. Like, are you really, do you really want it? Are you really cut out for this? Because it it, it is a tough profession. You have to be resilient. But once I got in, you know, to sales, I never looked back. And and I think though that, that the effort and the experience and trying to get into that, that is selling. And so it is kind of that qualification. Are you cut out for this? And, but I think you yourself have to answer that. And so hearing the rejection, you know, not being on your timelines, having to really sell yourself and and having to believe that you can do it yourself. Like that's everything that sales is, Mm -hmm. but in the moment you're, you're not really aware of it. So it forces you to go, do you really want this? Do you really, really want this? And so I did. And so I fought for it. I got it. And, you know, 20 years later, I never looked back. (laughs) So that was my career before entrepreneurship. That is amazing. Although I know that, you know, you as a woman, it had to have been rough, especially during those times. You know, it's it's different from now. Now we have equity officers at every job. You can contact human rights and HR and there's like anti-discrimination policies and things like that. But during that time, what was it? How did you navigate the workplace being knowing that they were like it was predominantly men. How did you manage that? You know, Jane, I didn't know any different. And it was just to you almost felt like a man because you're surrounded. You know, they say you're the the average of the five people you surround yourself with. Well, I was with men. So I just adopted this hunter mentality and this, you know, I was part of that culture. And I, I honestly didn't know any different until I would say, you know, as an entrepreneur, entrepreneur connecting with women who struggled with some of this or women who were, uh, I remember reading something about a mother and she was traveling and she had, she was breastfeeding still at the time and she had milk with her. And I remember, and only when I heard that story, I remember being, being the same woman and saying, I didn't have anyone to talk to in those moments. I was so alone. 
but it was all men. So I couldn't share that. And it was, it was such a tough time because you're so hormonal, you're so emotional, but yet you're expected. And, and again, when I say expected, some of the expectations I placed on myself, I'm not blaming anyone there, mm-hmm. but like you're expected to show up and perform like, you know, that the soldier that everyone around you is. And you're just like, <laughs> I just spent two hours pumping in my room and now I'm here and nobody knows any difference. So what it took to get to the table, when, once we're at the table, nobody knows the difference. We're men, we're women. But what it took me to get there was so much bigger and emotional. And and I just, in hindsight, it, you almost want a bit of empathy to go, I just want you to acknowledge, you know, what I've done to get here. And I'm ready to produce, but it would be nice to just say, well, good for you, Karen. That's a lot, you know, a lot of, of effort you put out here. And I just think that I kind of hid that to myself. I kept it to myself. Maybe there was a bit of shame there. Maybe there was, I won't be taken seriously. But now I'm like, no, people need to know that. And you need to share your message to really promote that equality, that inclusivity, because now men do want to help. They want to be your allies, but they can't if you're keeping that to yourself. And what what would you say, say a woman right now in this day and age is in your situation and they're worried that if they express any sort of vulnerability, that they something will happen to their employment? How would you say they should go about that? You know, and that's a great question, Jane. I would say, you know, it even applies to men. Like I think vulnerability and growing up through corporate, that word wasn't even like, I think Brene Brown coined it and she she is starting to normalize and take the stigma away. But, you know, when I was brought up with four girls, you know, showing our emotion was weak. And so that's part of the reason I probably excelled in the corporate world of men because I was brought up that way of this real, I can do anything, don't show emotion and just, just produce the results. So what I would say is, you know what, lean into that vulnerability. And it it is it, it was uncomfortable for me initially, definitely was. But what I realized is, you know, the journey can be that much more enjoyable. You can be more relatable and and sweetness and kindness and and those are great qualities. They're not weak because, and, and what happened is the outcomes, you know, I thought if I, if I'm not vulnerable and if people aren't vulnerable, maybe they're not going to achieve the same outcomes, but I did and more, but mm-hmm. it was such an enjoyable journey because you could just let go and you didn't have these big broad shoulders to carry everything on. So I would just say, you know, lean into the discomfort, um, but also look for a company that promotes that and, and look at the type of culture and the type of leadership and, are those leaders modeling the behavior? Are they vulnerable? Are they standing in front of you and saying, hey, I don't have all the answers, but mm-hmm. we'll figure this out together. Mm-hmm. And I'm not perfect, but my my purpose and my why is to help you achieve your goals. Like that's the kind of culture you want. So if yes. you're not in that kind of culture and you're in the job market, that's what I would say seek out to for. And if you're and you want to do that already, and it's not reciprocated, it's not received, it's not accepted in the company you're at, you know, I I would start looking for a company that aligns with that, that supports that, and that fosters that, because that's, that's where growth happens, and like attracts like. So if you're not in that kind of culture, I would start looking, looking for someone who can just you know, help you elevate and bring you to that next level, because if, if there's a, an incongruence there, you're going to be stagnant, you're not going to grow, and you're going to be miserable. That is, yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, just to go back to your journey, um, it was there a moment or was there sort of something that inspired you to say, you know what, 
I'm going to take this by the horns and I'm going to do this with my life. I know that some, you know, Oprah will call it an aha moment or, you know, was there a moment where you said, you know what, mm, I'm I'm done with the mess. I'm going to start kind of doing my sales, getting into entrepreneurship and, you know, being who you are today. Mm-hmm. You know, I would say there was not one pivot. There was ideas. The seeds were planted um, before it actually happened. And, and I'll tell you just a bit of a backstory that people would phone me up and they'd say, can you come and do this presentation? Or they would fly me in to, you know, close this deal. And I was always confused, a bit naive going, why can't you do that? Like, that's your job. Mm-hmm. And so I guess what came, and I'm not going to say it came easy to me because I worked very hard at it and I, I had a, a 20 year career, but I guess I always just really honed, you know, my skill set and that it came, again, it came easy, but with practice. Mm-hmm. So I remember thinking, well, they're asking me for like, this could be a business opportunity. And I think when you do something so often, you just expect, well, everyone else, everyone else can do this. Why are you asking me? Mm-hmm. But I realized it wasn't, it, everybody wasn't like me. And so um, I remember thinking, well, maybe there's a business opportunity here, but because it wasn't like a, you're an engineer or a doctor or a nurse, like a hard skill was like sales. Like who's going to hire me to teach them how to sell? <laughs> then when I realized, wow, there can be a business um, let's go. So I remember on my first mat leave, uh, with my son in 2014, I read a book called mom shift. And mm-hmm. I remember at the time my friends were saying, this is your maternity leave, like just enjoy. Um, and I was like, something changed in me and, and I couldn't describe it, but it was just, I guess when I became a mom for the first time, I became this warrior. And I was like, I have to be protective. I have to create a legacy and I have to do things now through the lens that there's eyes watching me. So you, you know, the integrity was so important. It's like you have to do the right thing when no one's watching, but you got a little boy watching now. So you more so have to do the right thing. But I remember just a real sense of power and you can do this. And it was definitely whether it was hormonal or not, but it was fueling me going, you can't, you can't not do this here. And I just remember starting to write content, starting to write courses not really know where they were going. And, and then I, I wasn't ready to completely execute on it, but I knew I was going to have another kid. And I had another, I had a daughter 23 months later. And so after I continued my writing of the content and getting a business plan and a vision together, because that seed was planted, there was no turning back. Mm-hmm. And I remember after my daughter saying, I'm going to go back just to get business acumen and kind of mommy brain was real, maybe for three to six months. And, you know, just to get my business feet again, Yes. And I'm going to say after two months, I said, I, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. And mm-hmm. and I think that breaking point was just something that changed in me where that sense of belief, conviction was off the charts and I was done working for other people. And it's not that I was mistreated or anything. I just had such a strong sense of I've worked for 20 years to help other people make money. And I it wasn't even about the money. It's just like I just want to beat to my own drum and I'm ready to if there's uh, mistakes, I'll own them. They're my mistakes. I'm assuming risks. I'm assuming everything. But I was just ready to to do something um, big and bold. And and I feel that that light or that um, beacon was illuminated through you know becoming a mom. Mm, I love that. I love that. Um, 
we right now we live in a I don't know if you've heard this term, but like hustle culture. Mm-hmm. You know, we <laughs> oh well, you know, you gotta you gotta work from seven to seven and you gotta wake up at three AM and make sure you get up and do all this. Mm-hmm. But I know that that's probably not your vibe. Can you walk me through when that moment you decide, okay, I'm going to work for myself, but we know that it's just not that easy. It's not about deciding and then doing. What did it take to to start your own thing going? And d- were you scared? Did you deal with self-doubt? Did you, did you ever deal with imposter syndrome when you were starting out? Mm-hmm. Um, for, first of all, the the bro culture, the hustle culture, and and the irony is Jane that I grew up in that, and I was part of it. Like I gr- I ground it out, like mm-hmm. you know, like no other, because that's all we knew, right? And we produced results, and we were hitting the gong, and all this real yeah. masculine testosterone, like too much. When I think about it now, I'm like that was gross. But again, <laughs> I didn't know any different, right? Yeah. And so now I'm completely on the other side, going, how many other women felt that way when they were you know, comparing us to football players and can you quarterback this? And I'm just like, I don't see any other women in the, in the NFL. No, I can't quarterback this. And like, why is it acceptable to speak to women like this? So, you know, what we did is one thing. Was it right? No. And was I aware at the time? No, I just didn't know any different. Right. It's like, you're always around these people. There was no other side. It was just this. Mm -hmm. And so when I think, what did it take? I, I think when you do something long enough, that pain of same it mm-hmm. almost became easy because I'm like, I'm prepared to go through the discomfort because I'm so done here. You know, the mm-hmm. pain of saying it's got to be greater than the pain of change. Mm-hmm. And so I was ready to go through the change. Um, did I have imposter syndrome? You know what? I was surrounded by, I'm sure there were times when I had a little bit of doubt. I'm like, I'm human, right? But this is what I coach people to do on. So over time, I would just get in front of it. And I say, what situations, when do I feel these triggers? When do I feel moments of insecurity, of um, doubt, of imposter syndrome. And and I would find patterns. And one of them was, you know, when you go on social media and you compare yourself to others like that, no matter who you are, is going to put you into a downward spiral. Oh, so yeah. I, I, don't, I don't do that. So I just start looking at what are ways to empower me to really um, heighten that sense of belief? Because if I don't believe in myself, how useful am I to my kids, to my husband, to my friends, to my clients? I'm not, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's more, what did I do is, you know, I just continually worked on myself. I would say, initially, I would say yes to everything, completely out of my out of my element. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely some fear, but I leaned into it. And I remember just always being uncomfortable. And but 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 growing because you think about that ceiling, like well, if you're always pushing, it's getting higher and higher. Mm-hmm. And then you just and the thing is you're uncomfortable, but you never you never screwed up. Like that's just your your brain going, you know, its job is to conserve energy and keep you safe. And when you start going outside of that, it's panicking, right? Yes. But I just learned to kind of say, Yeah, let's do it. Let's uh you want to you've asked me to talk in front of 300 people. Yeah. And then I go and throw up in my car. (laughs) Not really, but you know, panic, but I figured it out. And so I just started building that resilience muscle of I can do anything and you believe it and you become it. And so this is what I coach people now. So yeah, there was a lot of behind the scenes stuff for sure. You know, a lot of definitely a lot of work, but what the unwavering belief is something that, that never, that never dimmed. Um, And I think that's what you 
regardless if you're talking about life, if you're talking about um, a career, if you're talking about being new to Canada, if you're talking about leaving a, an abusive relationship, like you have to believe, you have to bet on yourself mm-hmm. because no one else is going to bet on you. No one else is going to open the door. No one else is going to pick you up. And so that for me never was always front and center. So you would say that, you know, regardless of what's going on, you know, there's a lot of brain chatter. I think when we, when we're doing anything new, I think what your anxiety for some people, I think it shows up differently, but you're saying sit in it, work through it, regardless of what's going on upstairs. Well, and and I would recognize it over time. I'm not saying I started this way, but over time, I would say this is brain chatter. Like this is, I know what this is. I've seen this before. I know what you're trying to do, but I'm not going to let you do it. Mm-hmm. And so I would just get in front of that. And I remember like even, I'm going to say six months ago, I was driving in my car and I got a message and I was on my way to an appointment and they, they canceled the contract. And then something else happened. And I remember saying, I, I actually spoke out loud. I said, I know you're trying to break me. I know what this is universe, but I'm not letting it. And so you just, you have to recognize things for what they are. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, in the moment, I know they say, you say, thank you, because there's something better on the other side. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to do that. But I do, I say that was not meant for me. And I'm letting it go. And I'm waiting. And usually something comes in to fill its place. And it wasn't for me. And so sometimes the the universe, whatever you want to call it, removes things that you should probably have removed, but you didn't. You have talked about, you know, being in a career for 20 years and then deciding to walk away and start your own thing for the people out there, especially the women who a lot of the times are, you know, whether whether you're in a two parent, you're you're married and you have a husband or you're a single parent, women tend to be taking up most of the responsibility in the house. And what advice do you have? For a woman who is like, you know what, I have the full-time job, I have the benefits, and they're really scared. They're scared to take that leap of faith. They know they have the talent to to start something on their own. They know they have the skills, but they're just like, no, I'm really scared. I want to I wanna make sure I have CPP when I'm 70. Mm-hmm. What is your advice? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I also want to encourage people with their family in financial hardship as a result of this. Like I would would advise them to do it smart. And what I would suggest is to start with a side hustle, whatever it is you're going to do. Can you, you know, go to your day-to-day job, keep your CPP, your EI, all that. And I know you walk away from the cushiness of it all. I did it too. Mm -hmm. And then start what I did, build content or how, whatever your service is, can you start, you know, selling your sweaters, your candles online, whatever you're doing, to test the waters and start developing, um, you know, your business case, then start developing your target audience, who is this serving and really honing it. And what ends up happening is you eventually can't do two things right. And one of them's got to give. And so it's kind of that pendulum, but, but it allows you to safely test the waters and say, I'm, I've got something until you get enough traction where that tipping point is pulling on the the side hustle and then you can eventually give up your job without going completely cold turkey so that's the way i started i had the luxury of having a you know a partner who's supportive that if things you know i had a a nest egg as well but if you had a bit of savings saved up if you have a partner um, that can support you but also knowing that like you can always get a job if it doesn't work out Mm -hmm. right like it's not like you're stuck in this thing you know give it a shot and if it if you know, set your time, a time frame, set a, a revenue amount, 
And if it doesn't work, then you, you can. And that's always been an option for me, but I've never had to go back to. And I, I never want to because I'm like, you know what? I will make it work. I will not. Um, I know what the other side is like and I'm not going to do it. So I would say to be smart, um, you know, start with a side hustle. And I would also maybe ask five people, you know, and say, write down the top five strengths you feel I have in mm. this, you know, that's that's aligned to where you want to go. And the reason I would do this is because we have, and just like we were talking about, like we have the perception sometimes where we have imposter syndrome, we have limiting beliefs and we're not looking at it through a clear lens. And mm. so when you can invite others who see you differently, who see strengths that perhaps you don't see, who have that belief in you that might, you know, catalyze your own belief, that's going to help you. And you think, God, I didn't know that I had, that's the way I'm perceived because the way we perceived ourselves is often different than how we're perceived by others. So mm-hmm. and get a, get a small group of people to write those top five traits you have mm-hmm. and just say like, look what they see in me. Like, this is how I can put this out there and, and solve the problem that mm-hmm. people have with my solution. And so sometimes you're just kind of getting a bit of uh, support and outside help to get that, you know, the, the ball off the off the ground but who, who cares how you get it as long as you can get it there tell me about the women that you before we started you were telling me that you actually uh talk to a lot of women or do you talk to people in general are you a teacher tell me more about the work that you do in in passing on this message along to the community Okay. Well, I, so I, I run a sales training and coaching company. So when I do sales training, it's across the board, it's both small companies, um, startups, as well as large corporate companies made up of, you know, mixed teams. Mm -hmm. When I do coaching, um, I am part of an accelerator of women who are looking to scale their business so that they're all female. Um, I'm also a member of women's sales pro, which is 50 women around the world who really our goal is to help elevate, um, women get more women into sales and sales leadership more in the corporate world. Mm -hmm. So when I'm coaching women, a lot of it is female entrepreneurs, female small business owners, and really scaling their business. But what I find is a lot of them are have a product, have a service, or an app or something technical, and they've developed to themselves, but they've never once considered how to market it, how to sell it. And so when I when I say, you know, tell me about your product, tell me what you're trying to do. And she's like, I want to help people do this. And the word help always comes in there. But then mm-hmm. following that, it's like, but I don't sell. I, I don't sell. I'm, I'm awful at selling. And so sales almost elicits a physical response in people. Like they just, it's such a trigger word. Yes. But I say, but but you just shared with me, you want it to help. So doesn't your product allow you to do that? And they're like, yeah, I can help them, but I'm not selling it. And so I think it's just getting... A healthy relationship with what you're actually trying to do. Because when you do that, your language, your messaging, the way you show up is completely in service mm-hmm. versus pitching, right? And, and and that's not what they're trying to do. So I'm. Uh, it's just like, forget selling. Whatever you want to say that the language that makes, that aligns with you, I want to connect. I want to build trust. And I want to help them solve a problem. I want to help them. That's, that's what you do then. Mm-hmm. And so it's just, it's influencing the mindset first that this is what we're trying to do. We're trying to help people, but then instilling that sense of belief because mm-hmm. that's what they're buying. They're buying your confidence. They're buying your ability to take them from A to B. And if, and if you don't have that and you're putting your head down and you're saying, I hate public speaking and I hate talking about myself, that's what you're projecting. And your audience is thinking, well, I was considering hiring you, but 
I'm not really sure anymore because you don't believe in yourself. How then can you believe in us and, and help us achieve our goals? And right. so it's really getting that sense of belief, strengthening it. And I would say, like, think back into other areas of your life, completely unrelated to, you know, work. But what have you what have you excelled at or what goal have you achieved mm-hmm. that you once started thinking, I can never do this? And it might be learning a new language. It might be rollerblading. It might be, you know, yoga, whatever it is. But at one point you couldn't do it and you were very aware of that. But now you're you do it effortlessly and you're very good. And so how can you take that same formula and apply it to work? And just really start getting consistent in your habits. And over time, before you know it, you're you're doing things effortlessly and you're making a difference. I love that. Um, because I I definitely that sounds like something I also need. <laughs> I feel like I need to join. Mm-hmm. Now, my other question is there a lot of the women that that access uh this this service are also some of them may be immigrant women and we know as an immigrant myself um and my mom as well i know when she moved here she always had this mentality that you know she's an immigrant and she if she tries to own her own business she may not fit in because she's new to the country she didn't really know where to get a lot of the information from um, we were sort of in a better situation in that, you know, we are English is our first language. And so navigating Canada was not as difficult. Mm-hmm. And we came from a British system, which is similar to Canada in, in how the systems are run. So do you do you find that in in the in the coaching that you do and the teaching that you do? Do you do you find that that's something that you have to put into consideration that um, in in your courses for women who aren't necessarily uh, from Canada but want to start a business, but they literally have no idea because they don't have an an idea of how Canadian systems work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I find that a lot, and I do coach a lot of of immigrants new to Canada. Just you know, my parents are both immigrants as well, and I'm my mother is a nurse, mm-hmm. and she had to come here, and she never spoke a word when she was doing her equivalency test in Humber College because she was so ashamed of her accent and standing out. Mm -hmm. And so that story saddens me because she had such a great story to tell. Mm -hmm. And she entered, she came here with shame. And it's just like, how can you, I'm sure others feel that way, but how can you turn that into pride and Mm -hmm. say, God, look what I can bring, look what I can add to this country. Look at the experiences, look at the stories that will enrich people's lives around me. Mm -hmm. And so what I do now is a lot of people and, and just, there's a lot of federal uh, government money and and support that that offers programs for new to Canada for um, people that have a um, a business perhaps in another country and they're trying to make a footprint and grow it in Canada. So you know, I would definitely say you could look into there. But a lot of the clients that that I coach, what they're looking for is a North American equivalency. So when they say to me, Karen, in my country, you know, we hug people and we do, you know, we're very amorous. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, well, in Can- that that doesn't work here. Like Canada, especially Toronto, it's a very, you know, we'll have small talk if if I feel that you can give me the business outcomes I'm looking for. And so how do you, when you think about the currency we trade here, it's time. And so if you book a 30-minute meeting, they want to see value. Like they want to see how can you help them. At the end of it, they might say, so tell me a little bit about you play guitar, you have kids, 
you like to cook, whatever, but that's not what they're looking to lead with. They want to know exactly what's the purpose of this call? What can I expect the outcomes to be? And how can you help me solve my problem? Right. And so that's a cultural shift. And so what I'm finding is they're very eager to learn what that is because they're realizing very quickly that they're not a hitting revenue targets because things are not the same. And so my role is to really coach them and say like, this is, this is how, so this is what you do there. This is how we do this here. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's a big awareness. And then there's some role playing and, and you know, e- even, um, there's a language barrier. Sometimes, sometimes I'll have to say, this is how you enunciate. This is how you pronounce this. And, you know, with that, of course, there's lack of confidence because these are grown adults and they're getting someone to tell, tell them kind of what they know so effortlessly in their own country, in their own language. Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like, um, it's definitely a culture shift, but, but as they go through the journey and there is some discomfort, there is appreciation at the other end. Cause they're like, Karen, it's working, you know, and, and Canadians aren't bad people. We're, we're, we, 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 we want to see people win. We're empathetic yes. as long as there's effort on the other end and there is effort and they're really trying. And so, you know, that's what I do with, for both men and women, mm-hmm. but a lot of them definitely come to the table as well. Why are they going to buy from me? And my, my story is, well, well, why wouldn't they, you know, and it's all, we, we talk about our, why, why did you start this business? Like, what's your story, whether it's from back home or here, what's your story, people buying emotion, that's going to connect them, that you're going to tell them a story that your audience sees themselves in. They want to learn more. Mm-hmm. They're not into the pitching. How can you invite them into your story because of something you've gone through, whether it be negative or positive, that's going to attract them and say, I actually want to work. I want to spend my money on a company like this because I believe in them. Mm-hmm. And so we all have a story. How can you figure it out? How can you get someone, a coach, you can get an accountability partner, you can join a peer group and just get a sounding board and say like, how is this? Do you think this word works? Does this sound okay? Even record yourself on Zoom, doing your value proposition, doing some sort of practicing storytelling, practicing um, the language so that when you are in front of your prospects, you feel more confident because you've got, it's not the first time you've done it. Mm. Just sticking to this point. um, Now I know there's the culture barrier, but we know that as much as times have changed, corporate is still filled with men. Mm -hmm. Um, It's still a very much, I I think it's, it's shifted a bit, but it's still predominantly uh, led, especially by males. What advice do you have for women who are, anxious about that and they're they're worried that you know they'll get in there and they won't have a voice and they'll be oppressed and and they're just nervous about that Mm -hmm. well I would say two things I would say even before you get in I would just if this message goes to perhaps the hiring people first is how can you how can you create a more inclusive culture? And part of it is with the language you're using in your posting. So if you're attracting a woman, uh, you know, if you're attracting um, and you're using language, like, especially in sales, if it's quota crushing, you know, um, hunter, real aggressive language, like women aren't going to respond to that. You know, if you want someone who's going to be, a, uh, you know, build trust, be empathetic, be a strong communicator, you know, um, team player, that, that's more inclusive language that women are going to respond to. And again, from what I know, all I know is sales, mm-hmm. but um, women outperform men all the time. And so if you want an inclusive team, diverse mm-hmm. team, 
look at the language you're using to attract them. Like, look at like, we're not responding to that Rambo bro hustle culture. We're not. And when you look at, so the first thing is that definitely. And what happens is, especially the younger generation, the Gen Z's, they, they want to be part of something bigger and they want to be, have a sense of community and giving back. And so when they look at, you know, a room of white men, that that doesn't do it for them. So mm-hmm. if you want to drive results, if you want to, as company leaders, you know, set your company apart, you have to look at who you have at the, the, the top echelon of that company. And if it's not diverse there, you're not going to attract it, you know? So whatever you have up top is going to definitely reflect who you're, who's coming in and who's not coming in your company. So that's kind of more from the corporate, a little message for them. Mm-hmm. But what I, what I would say for the women is, and I have a lot of women, so I'm a host of a, I host my own podcast, the K2 Sales Podcast. And a lot of times I do women in sales, I do women in tech. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the women will say, even being the only woman at the table, what I realize is I bring a certain skill set that the men don't have. And it might be a skill set, it might be a characteristic, or it might be a perspective, mm-hmm. but they still it's still unique to them. And when they can share that, collectively they grow and they and they win so it's not well oh i'm i'm kind of it's how you look at it and if you have this defeatist attitude and you know you're inferior well yeah you're going to feel like my voice doesn't matter but if you take it from the lens of you know what we're all trying to work towards the greater good in my perspective my voice what i'm going to bring to the table helps and it helps to elevate it then keep keep showing up and keep um you know, you, your your peers will respond to that and they'll rally around you because they're going to see the value that you offer. I would also say, you know, don't be afraid to also speak out and say like, you know, we need more women. Like, how can we get a diverse group here and, and, and bring mm-hmm. that forward? Like, ask for it. Mm-hmm. And, and then leaders also, when you're running these types of meetings, you know, you can't just talk to the loud group of type A's. Mm-hmm. You have to instigate and say, um, you know what, Jane, at the beginning of this meeting, you you want to talk about this. Why don't you why don't you take two minutes and give us an update and, and bring it out of people like it's incumbent upon you to mm-hmm. bring out the voices of the females of the, the my moms of the world who didn't want to hear the voice because they were new to Canada and they had shame. That's your job. Mm-hmm. And over time, they're going to start developing that habit on their own. But the team is also going to be more receptive and say, yeah, Jane, why don't you share? You know, so and that's what the a good leader's job is to model the behavior so that there's going to be some peer learning and their peers before they know it are going to start saying, yeah, what do you have to say? And they're just going to look around them and, and the the diversity of the team will start organically coming into play. Mm. When you look at your, you know, what the work that you're doing now, where do you, what is, what would be ideal? And what I mean by that is, how do you want to see this play out in five years, in 10 years? What does that look like for you? And what does it look like for the women that you coach? Well, I'll I'll do it both ways. I'll say in the next five years, I mean, I want, anytime I have talk a program, my goal is for them to leave with a transformative experience. So whatever Mm -hmm. they came in with, whatever thought, whatever doubt, whatever imposter syndrome, I want them to leave so empowered that like they they can do anything. They can move the world. And in order to do that, I have to be completely focused on the other person. And I before they come into my program, I need to think about what do they want to know? 
What are they going to feel? And what do I want them to do after? And so I reverse engineer that and I take it completely from the lens of them. And this is where a lot of people say, well, don't you get nervous? And aren't you worried about this? And I say, well, if I do, then I'm focused on the wrong person. And so my goal is to empower women mm-hmm. to really have this sense of belief that it, it doesn't even, they don't even have to think about it anymore. They just do. So there's this level of confidence that I can, I can, I can do anything I want because um, I believe in myself and that is projected and transferred to your audience that there's no, we have a man, a woman here. It's just like, we just have people, you know, even this girl boss or lady boss. No, I'm just a boss. Women's women's women in sales. They know it's just sales day. You know, I just, the day that we can remove that and it's just, we're celebrated as one and we don't always have to, you know, ring our own bell is we've started to move the needle for, you know, that's, that's what success means to me so that we equalize the playing field. But when you also look from the bottom up, I have a six-year-old daughter and I, you know, I work a lot of what I do for her. I put her in, in, you know, I put her in hockey. She was the only girl on the team and I bought a t-shirt. You go girl. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm just like, this is our future generation. And how can we normalize that? You are sometimes going to be the only girl, but you're going to find your voice. You're going to not have shame. You're not going to be fearful. You're not going to, um, you know, look inward and say, I can't, you're just like, show up and be you. And mm-hmm. so when we can kind of remove the stigmatisms and people from all ages, all backgrounds mm-hmm. show up authentically and they're not in their heads, then, then the needle's been moved. And I, I can, I can feel like I've helped contribute to a small part of that. You bring up a really, really important point. I something that has changed my mind that has altered, I, I think, my mindset that being the only woman is not a catastrophic thing necessarily. That's something so I, I work predominantly in a women's field. And so I never get to see men ever, not even with my clients. So when I do have a when I that one off where I'm working with men, I'm like <gasps> You know, but you're saying it's not necessarily a bad thing. It it could actually be a strength thing. It could work in your favor, I, which is something I never thought about. Uh, absolutely. And there was times I was the only woman and I was I it empowered me. I'm like, you will remember me. Yeah. <laughs> I never, ever took it as poor me. I'm the only woman. I'm like, watch this. At the end of this meeting, you're going to remember the one question, or the one idea I brought up because it's going to be stellar. And so I think it's just if you see it as a weakness or if you see it as a strength. And I always saw it as a strength. That is important. Um, lastly, for the women who are listening and they want to they want to know what you do. They want to possibly join your uh, your coaching. Can you plug what you do and your company and your podcast for those of us who want to follow you after this? Mm-hmm. Sure. Thank you. Um, so if anyone wants to listen to the podcast, it's uh, the K2 Sales Podcast. It's um, on anywhere you listen to podcasts. The name of the company is k2perform.com. So if you are interested in any sales training, sales coaching, um, you can send me an email on at Karen at K2 Performer on LinkedIn. And if you just have any questions in general or want to connect and you're perhaps stuck on that next career move or you just need a bit of a pep talk or, you know, that confidence rebuilding to take that next step and get that sense of belief, I'm happy to have a conversation in with anybody at any stage. And if I can make a difference, then um, then that's a win. 
Thank you so much, Karen. This was, uh, I don't even, like, even for me, I'm just like, you know, noticing my own patterns and like, oh, I've been doing that as well. So thank you for your empowering words. It definitely, the conversation, you know, moved in, in a direction I was not expecting, which I really like. So I appreciate the knowledge that you have imparted today. I would love to have you back you know, if you want to come back and let, because I feel like this conversation is not done. There's so many other questions I have for you. I think you're truly fascinating and all the work that you've done. So I'm, please come back. I want to continue this. That would be great. Well, thank you, Jane. And thank you for the, uh, the thoughtful questions. It was, uh, I enjoyed my time. Thank you all for listening. I will see you in a few weeks. Bye.